0: Welcome to Hamilton at War, our 12-part weekly podcast series that brings to life in vivid, historical, and emotional detail Alexander Hamilton's Revolutionary War service. I'm Robert Child, and I hope you enjoy this latest installment. Hamilton at War, written by Robert Child and narrated by James Gillis. Ragged, half-clothed, weary Continental soldiers braced themselves against a biting early December wind as they marched slowly into an ice-encrusted field. The trek from the Raritan to their new home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, had taken a full week. They had just crossed the Delaware and were completely exhausted. Washington rode his horse back along the column, encouraging his men. He was the epitome of strength and calm. Keep it moving. Just a little further, boys. This is where we set camp. Washington then encountered Hamilton's artillery company. Hamilton, who was sickly and exhausted from his exertions and the march, raised a hand and saluted weakly. My compliments, Captain. Your company's stand at the Raritan was a sight to behold. Well done, sir. The young commander brightened. "'Thank you, Your Excellency.' Then Hamilton sneezed. "'I'll see to it that accommodation is made for you at Colonel Knox's headquarters. We need artillerymen like you in good health.' Washington nodded warmly and resumed his ride up the line. He was not always quick to bestow praise, but seldom withheld it when it was due, and this only deepened his men's devotion. Thompson joined Hamilton, who watched his general continue to ride on. He inspires with his face of fortitude and resolution. Thompson replied, Aye, that he does, sir, that he does. Washington, with his servant Billy Lee, peered across the icy Delaware from the Pennsylvania side, and through the fading rays of daylight to the Hessian garrison at Trenton, New Jersey. Laughter and song floated across the river to Washington's ears. A celebration was under way. Six Hessian mercenaries, wearing navy blue frock coats trimmed in red, with white vests and breeches, enjoyed their beer at a rustic local tavern. Several were glassy-eyed and three sheets to the wind as they warbled through a regimental song around a hearth. (laughs) Ihr lauschen rebellen, ihr. "'Gebt vor uns acht, "'Juch heiße nach Amerika, der Deutschland, guten Nacht!'' Washington on the Pennsylvania shore tilted his head, listened, and thought a moment longer. His eyes widened with an idea. Washington returned from the Delaware to his large headquarters farmhouse, the Keith House, which was set low in a meadow in the shadow of Jericho Hill. By the next day he was deep into planning. He arched over a broad pine table, pouring through his maps, a pale winter sun streamed through large windows. The leader of the American cause checked and double-checked distances on the parchment map with his surveying tool. Washington was plotting and identifying the closest roads leading to the small mill town across the river. Trenton. Just to the north of Washington, over Jericho Hill, Henry Knox entered his stone farmhouse headquarters at the John Chapman House, also known as London Purchase Farm. He closed the door and shook off the mid-December cold. He put down his worn gloves and went to check on his young artillery commander. At Hamilton's bedroom door Knox saw that the young captain was sleeping, but not peacefully. Hamilton coughed in his sleep, and his breathing was laboured. He also looked to be experiencing a bad dream. Knox's face betrayed concern. St. Croix Island, twelve years earlier. Crash, a dish shattered on a wall, thrown by a woman in her late twenties with long reddish-brown hair. The woman was world-weary Rachel Hamilton, and she was at her wits' end with her always on the verge of a fortune husband, Scottish-born James Hamilton. "'I am tired of living in these rags and the boys always being in want of food. Get out!' she repeated louder. "'Get out!' "'I have a good mind to do just that, woman, and not return this time!' Rachel sneered. "'You worthless excuse for a man!' "'You stinking pathetic whore!' he said in return. Outside the cottage, eight-year-old Alex Hamilton, frail with wispy reddish-orange hair, with his ten-year-old brother, huddled together, listening to yet another fight. Rachel's husband stormed out the door past the frightened boys. Papa! Where are you going? Alex shouted. The man who was in name his father stopped and came back to Alex. You're too young to understand, boy, but I'm not your... stopping himself. I... I must leave. I cannot live with your mother any longer. Alex's searching eyes filled with tears. I'm sorry. You boys do what you can around here to help your mother. I must take my leave." The fortune-hunting James Hamilton turned and continued briskly on his way. Young Alex ran after him while his older brother remained frozen in place. James Hamilton turned, saw Alex running towards him, and barked, "'Begone, boy!' Alex stopped instantly. Deep hurt flooded his face as he watched the only man he had ever called father walk out of his life. Captain Hamilton shut his eyes tighter and tried to shake the childhood memory. But his older face, lying on the pillow, echoed the young boy's pain and a single tear travelled down his cheek. Washington's HQ, Buckingham, Pennsylvania General Washington had set the maps out, and had battle groupings arranged and spread on the table. He was about to reveal his plans to his closest confidant. Two sentries guarded the door. Local man, Albert Humphreys, 19, 19, on guard with an equally young Stuart Jones, was cold and hungry. General Green arrived at headquarters as the sun hung low in the sky and moved past Humphreys and Jones. He was shown in by Washington's adjutant general, former Philadelphia lawyer, thirty-year-old, prominent-nosed Joseph Reed. Outside at his post, Humphreys shivered and griped. Generals, they have the life. Hey, Stuart!' Stuart nodded his head in agreement. The rest of his body was too frozen to move. Humphrey said, "'Warm beds, good food, and we stand out here freezing our asses off. Is this the liberty and equality we fight for?' Green entered the map-room with Reed and looked quizzically at Washington's plans carefully laid out on the table. Green asked, "'A plan of battle, Your Excellency?' Washington, focused on the maps and papers dispensed with pleasantries. I have decided to move on Trenton, Christmas night. Green caught his breath, then opened his mouth to protest, but thought better of it. Yes, sir, he obediently replied, betraying his lack of confidence. A decisive blow must be struck, Nathaniel. Absolutely, General, but it would certainly be a bold undertaking with the weather and condition of the men. Washington turned to him, intense. Yes, a gamble. But we have no choice. We either sit here or act. Washington moved to the window and looked out at his troops encamped around his headquarters farm. Humphreys noticed Washington at the window and slid closer to eavesdrop. Stewart stared strangely at Humphreys. Washington peered through the glass and said, "'We must seize the Trenton garrison now. Enlistments are up at the month's end. The majority of the army, the veterans who sacrificed most, I cannot trust them to remain.' The American commander then returned to the table. Green, perceiving the strain of command on his general's face, took the opportunity. "'Sir, allow me to state plainly. You are the reason the men will remain. Patriotism is but a fading memory.' They will continue to fight for you first, then their country. In the spring, Nathaniel, Washington said in a louder voice, cutting Green off, the men need the supplies at Trenton, and the cause sorely needs a victory. Our countrymen need the spark of hope. Then becoming pragmatic, he added, But if we lose this battle, General, I fear the game will nearly be up. Green, unsure of what to say, simply studied the wide floorboards, then was startled as Washington pounded the table. Here, here, in this place is where we must make our stand, General Green. There will be no retreat. The password for the attack shall be victory or death. As Washington's words lingered in the late winter afternoon air, the two men stood a moment looking at each other. Green had enjoyed Washington's favor as few commanders had. He would follow his general into certain death. No questions asked if he were so ordered. Humphreys, back at his post, had heard much. Much that could be useful. A slight grin curled the edge of his mouth. He knew just the man who would gladly pay for this valuable information. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Robert Child, and be with us next week for another exciting installment of Hamilton at War, only on Point of the Spear. Music licensed from Audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.